All right, here's the deal, okay? We are on week two of our new series, Lost Religion. The entire idea of this series is just that we are trying to find out what have we lost from the book of Acts to today. What, what things um, in Christianity today don't look the way that they did look? And so the best way to figure that out is to go back to the Gospels. And so in the Gospels... As we study the good news of Jesus, this message that he took everywhere he went, we're going to study the themes. What you could do is, if you would go back through your Bible and underline each time that this theme, this topic of this word popped up, you would find out that every one of these weeks we are hitting the things that Jesus talks about most. So the question is, why is he talking about them? So that's what we're going to try to hit. So last week we had a really, really fun, you know, super exciting week because we talked about eternity. (laughs) And everyone goes wild. Uh, We talked about eternity and what happens with that is, you know, it it does bring a seriousness. It brings a sobriety to us and it it focuses, it forces us to be sobered up. And to be sober means to have a grasp on reality. Okay, to have, a, to have your hands on the way things really are. To be drunk, to be under the influence, you know, to be deceived is to not understand the way things really are, okay? To be sober is to know what is real. And what's difficult about eternity and death and the afterlife is that it slaps you in the face and says, what is real? And so we start this whole thing off with that topic because Christianity is built upon this understanding that what is here is fleeting. That what we are created for, that what we are to live for, is something beyond this world. And that's the entire foundation of Jesus, of Christianity, of salvation, of His kingdom. And if we don't wrestle with that, none of the rest of it makes sense. Things don't fit together in Scripture, and it becomes very easy for us just to kind of go through life with this, you know, kind of a fake form of Christianity. But when you allow the reality of eternity to kind of shake you a little bit, to shake you enough to where you're willing to to open up your life and say, Lord, what do I need to do to be secure in this world that's coming? What do I need to do to have peace, to have hope? How do I let this not be something that crushes me? What happens is this thing shakes you just enough, kind of tills the ground of your heart to make room for the seeds of His hope and life and salvation to be sown. And so at first it starts a slightly scary thing, but it makes room for the Word of God and and just the life of Jesus to bloom in you. And the problem is this. So many of us have heard sermons and, you know, teachings about Jesus and His kingdom, but it's never taken root in our lives because we weren't uncomfortable enough to need it. You are not uncomfortable enough to need anything different than what you had, so you never made room for Jesus. And we hate funerals for what reason? It reminds us that we are what? (laughs) I hope you all heard that. You are next. (laughs) Lord, please let that get onto the recording. For the record, he said next, to remind you that you are next. Oh my goodness. Oh, if you guys missed this Sunday, you're missing out. Woo! But, (laughs) yes. 
We hate funerals because it reminds us that this is a reality that is real to everyone. And then what takes... Man, that's going to get me all day long, okay? (laughs) What happens with this is that it forces you to evaluate your life. If this world really is fading, if what's coming is more real than this, if what happens over there is more important than what happens over here to me, if I want to be rich over there, it doesn't matter what I am here because if that's the more important world, then everything in my life needs to shift to live for that world. Does that make sense? But if that shift doesn't take place, then nothing else in the Scriptures matter to you. Then we can go through our lives hearing all these great things about God and we can pick and choose what we want because we need to have the poop scared out of you just a little bit, okay? I mean, stay with me, okay? Yes, we're all Christian. I said poop, okay? You need to kind of get a little scared just enough to take your hands off of life and say, you know what, maybe I'm not just fine. Maybe I need something that I don't have yet. And what happens is this, when you begin to read through the Scriptures with the seriousness, saying, you know what, that world is real. I am next, Matthew, okay? When you begin to read Scriptures, you take it seriously. And all of a sudden, what you see in the Scriptures doesn't look like your life. And so you have a choice. If I believe this world is more real, I'm going to ignore that. But if I believe that reality is more real, everything has to change. Amen? Everything has to change. And this is the foundation of the good news that Jesus brought. When He comes, He says what? He said, repent for what? The kingdom of God is near. What in the world does that mean? Understand that that the first thing that this carries with it is that there is something coming and that this is leaving. Repent. Change. Get get right. Reorient your life. Stop doing what you're doing because this is going to fade and something new is going to take its place. That leads us to this morning. After we've allowed the Word to shake us just enough to plant these seeds of hope, now it's a question of, so now how do we live? If I believe that what's coming is more real than what's here, if I believe that I need to pursue this life in Jesus, then what do I have to do to get there? And so it takes us to the theme, the idea of the kingdom of God. Now this is the topic that has blown my mind, okay? It's not the first time that I've studied it, it's not the first time I've prayed about it or, or, you know, read about it, but this is the first time it's kind of, just kind of got me a little bit. I mean to where I feel like the more that I've been opening it up and I've been studying things and and things start connecting, it's just kind of like too much. Everyone's like, okay, so what's that mean for us? Pastor Zach put it in a great way. He said, well, you know, it's it's only the topic Jesus taught on for three and a half years face-to-face to his disciples and they still didn't understand it. And I'm not even Jesus, and I don't have three years with you guys yet. You know, <laughs> the only guarantee I have is this morning. So we're going to try to get something to you now this morning that Jesus had a trouble getting to the disciples in three and a half years. Sound good? Not a big task, is it? Here's the biggest task of this topic. The kingdom of God is so hard for us to understand because it is not as tangible as this world. Does that make sense? 
it's so hard for us to understand this, this, this thing, the kingdom of God, because we are so consumed with what faces us every single day. Okay, this world that we are just bombarded with, you know, with pain and fatigue and needs and money and bills, problems and stresses. And this world has such an ability to take our eyes off of Him that, the, that this, this, this task of having to pull ourselves away from this world to focus on the kingdom of God is a stretch for us. And let's go ahead and start in some scriptures here. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Here's what it says. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. day, by day. This is the Apostle speaking. 17. For the light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now obviously he's not just talking about physical eyes. Does that make sense? Okay, He's talking about he's fixing his attention. He's fixing his his, his time, his energy, his thought life, okay, his emotions. He is taking himself and pulling himself away from what is seen and investing and plugging in to what is unseen. Okay? And why do we do this? Because what is unseen is what? Eternal. That whole topic we talked about last week. If that topic shakes you enough, then it shakes you enough to want to just pull into it. I need to know what's going on. And so we have to pull ourselves out of this world to plug ourselves in to the kingdom of God because right now it is unseen. So much so that this is not something that, that's able to take place just mentally. It, it's, it's truly a spiritual process that has to take place in us. It's a combination of your obedience, your pursuit of Him, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God at work in you, okay? This is what takes place, and we call this spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not the ability to teach, to preach, to pray for people, to operate uh, in, in a spiritual gift. Those are all things you can do without maturity. Those are all things that you have when you are born. Those are things that you will take with you when you pass. These are gifts and abilities. Spiritual maturity is the ability for someone to live and operate in the invisible world, okay? More than in the natural. Meaning, you make your decisions based on not the seen, but the unseen. You live your life not based on what surrounds you, but by the God who's with you. This is spiritual maturity. And there's signs that pop up in you. When you begin to live that way, the unseen begins to be seen in you. There will be some things I say this morning that just kind of go for some of us. That's okay. If you're taking notes, some of these things, you need to write them down. I just gave you a winner. The unseen is seen in what? In you. How do we know what the kingdom of God is? Beyond mere ideas, have we ever seen it? Everyone's like, is, is, is he really asking? Can I really... Yes, and we first saw it in Jesus. We've seen the kingdom of God because we've seen who? 
Jesus. Jesus was the physical embodiment of all things that are God. His entire essence, His character, His qualities, His nature, it is all embodied in God. And He is the very ambassador of the kingdom of God. And if you notice, everywhere He went, He had a phrase. The kingdom of God is what? Is at hand. Who is at hand? Jesus. He could say these things, because the moment he walked into a room, the kingdom of God literally manifested through him. All right, we're going too fast. We need to slow down a little bit. All right, let's talk about what the kingdom of God is, right? I am trying my best to find a way to just take this thing and be like, okay, this is not that big. It's really simple. It's really easy, okay? If you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to um, Matthew 3. Matthew 3, verse 1. So the kingdom of God, the first thing that you need to know is this. The kingdom is the most talked about subject for Jesus in the entire New Testament. The things that Jesus spoke about, okay, the red letters in your Bible... He talked more about the kingdom of God than any other theme or idea or topic. And, and obviously it leads you to think, if that's what he talked about the most, surely it's important. Now, Matthew 3, verse 1. Here we go. Um, here's what it says. So in those days, John the Baptist came. He was preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, what has really happened here? What's really taking place? What's really taking place here is not like the heavens have not ripped open, okay? Like the, the actual physical sky has not had a tear in it, and you see this other like reality kind of piercing through. That hasn't taken place. What's happened? Jesus happened, right? Yeah, okay. What's really happening is that Jesus has now come from there to here, and this is how he explains it. He says, turn because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And of course, this is his message that he was taking. And we understand that John the Baptist, his primary purpose was to prepare a way for Jesus, for the kingdom of God. And what's happening here with this whole thing is that he is getting ready to challenge our very understanding of the nature of God with man. There's something about the kingdom of God that, you know, as I've been studying it, more than having my, you know, my own mind blown, I've just found myself getting excited. There's something about the kingdom of God that we all long for. Um, simply put, the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is God's will being done. Meaning, however it is that He would want things to be in that moment, for that person, in that place, in that time, however it is that he would want things to be, where the kingdom of God is present, those things are present. In this moment, someone might be ill or sick or poor. And if God wants and desires them to be healed, whole, and rich, when, when his reality, when God himself enters into that space, when the kingdom is near, His will happens. Healing takes place. Finances 
seem to come out of nowhere, okay? Internal healing happens instantly. The kingdom of God is, the, in essence, the heart of God for us. One of the best pictures of what the kingdom is is the Garden of Eden. We see the picture of this place, this earth, okay? We see a picture of it before it was ever disturbed. We see the way God wanted things to be. We see a place with no pain, with no death, with no sorrow, with no hurt. We see a place with no distance between us and God. Again, we see a place where what he wants is happening. And so what takes place is this. We see with the fall, we see that the reign of God, the control of God, the ability, the choice for God to have his way taken out. And what's important to understand is that we are still in this place to where through Jesus, the separation between his way and the, and the current reality of this world is, is, is removed. But it's only through Jesus and us. Here we go. I've got it. You guys ready? John 1.1. 1, 1. Let's go there. John 1.1. 1, 1. I uh, was reading a book last night, and, and it was really interesting because this is a very well-known uh, theologian, author, super sharp guy, and, you know, he's, he's trying to teach on the kingdom of God, and he said it one of the first things that just kind of astounded him was how when he started his research, he looked back through the history of the church and found that this was a topic that has hardly ever been talked about in church history. It's something that we saw that Jesus seemed to just pound home. And I mean, it was, it was the message of the gospel. And yet, something took place from Jesus to here to where this thing became lost in translation. And uh, one of the biggest things that's so hard for us to do in this topic is that it's so easy for this, you know, to only be confined to an area of thought or, or, or ideas. And it becomes this kind of, you know, fanciful imagination thing. Yeah, the kingdom of God, it's real. And, and, and of course, and then we have to go back into our everyday lives. It's not real at all. And what the kingdom of God is, is this, okay, it's, Jesus brought the good news of the kingdom of God. And so when you speak about the good news, you speak about the gospel, you cannot separate the two. And what the good news was is this. The good news is that everything that's wrong in this world is made right in God. Okay? Everything that's wrong is made right in God. And imagine... If in your situation right now, you could have God show up instantly. Imagine if you could have God show up. If, if you have a financial problem, if it's a relational problem, if you have, a, you know, whatever it is. Imagine this. Imagine if you could literally expect for God to just kind of like walk in the room, right? We have that song today, you know, if you walk in the room. I, I won't sing for you, okay? But you get the idea. Or, or, yeah. That's on the recording too. Lord have mercy. Okay. 
we sing these words, okay, but how many of us are singing, you know, with this idea of he's going to walk in the room? Right? Yeah, we don't, okay. <laughs> At least I don't, you know. Lord, help us, okay? The life-altering message of Jesus is that he walked into the room. I'll show you. John 1. Here we go. Verse 1. Things are going to start clicking for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Understand this first line is supposed to establish the deity of Jesus. Okay, He's, he, he's using the Old Testament Scriptures, understanding to say that Jesus is God. Flip on down to verse 14. Here we go. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus walks into the room. The God of over there, He does what? He becomes the God of right here. This is what is embodied in the word Emmanuel. God with us. Stay with me. The God over there literally walks into your life. Walks into our situation. He walks and talks and breathes. We can touch Him. We can see Him. He's real. The God of far away steps into the now. This is what the good news of the kingdom of God is about. The message is that God is real and God is near. Sit back just for one second. Again, you know, we, we've been trying you know, to bring it home. Here it is. How would you live if you could literally have Jesus walking with you through the day? How would that affect your life? For most of us, it's so hard to even imagine this right now. Because again, the truth is most of us live as if God is this distant, you know, he lives off beyond, you know, the cosmos. You know, he's hanging out, you know, in Pluto, whatever, okay? You know, we have this life to where we live as if God is so far away, so disinterested, so disconnected. But yet the message of the kingdom of God is what? The kingdom of God is near. Oh, we're getting there. Come on, come on. We're getting there, okay? There's a lot of stuff, but we're going to get it simple. The message, the excitement, the good news of people is, guess what? God is near, and when God is here, everything is made right. That's something to write down. The good news, okay, the gospel is this. It, it is He's near, and when He is here, everything is made right. Let's talk about this for a second. We all have something inside of us that tells us that we need more in life. I'm not sure what age it happens to us, but there's a point to where you seem to come of age and you realize that not everything is perfect here. And the more self-aware you get, the more you grow, the more you become aware that really not everything is even great here. And that there's lots of bad things and that this world just isn't that great. And then somehow, whether we see it, you know, in, in the media or, or from, from others, we start to learn how to distract ourselves. We start to learn how to just survive life. And so we begin to find these things to fill the void. Okay, if it's, if it's success, if it's money, if it's sex, if it's drugs, you know, again, you know, you've got the, the extreme things. Oh, that guy does drugs because, you know, you know, he can't handle life. Well, you can't handle it either. You just hide it some other way. 
we all find ways to begin to just, you know, kind of just get by, okay? What is it that's, that, that allows us to come to a place to where we can just kind of accept it the way it is? But we all know that there's something inside of every one of us that's not content. There's something that's just missing in this world. From the moment that God had to step away, from the moment that His will, the kingdom, from the moment that His plan for us was removed, this world is not the place we were designed for. The habitat that you were designed to live in and to enjoy, what you were specifically crafted to enjoy, was removed and you knew it. Something, something's not right here. There's something missing here. You guys ever been to the zoo and you walk in and like you see the lion? He's just laying there going. I mean, I mean honestly, have you guys ever seen that before? You walk in you go, oh, look, the lion, he's... Is he even alive? Is he passed out? I mean, you know, you're like this ferocious beast, you know, the king of the safari, you know. He's just like, <laughs> you know, they look depressed. We're going to joke it about, but, but, you know, it is kind of sad, right? It really is. There's something about it when you take something out of its home. You have something that is created to thrive in an environment and you remove it from it. It knows there's something wrong. It doesn't matter how many trees you put in there. It doesn't <laughs> You can play the safari soundtrack in the background. He's not thrilled. This isn't right. There's something wrong here. That is you. There's something wrong here. You weren't made for this. You're terrified of death because you were not made to die. So what happens is that... We find ourselves in this world to where we're constantly having to feel just disappointment. And the ones of us in this world who seem to be successful, the ones who have found a way to find momentary happiness. But it doesn't matter what that momentary thing is, you always need more. So if someone finds, you know, peace and money, they always need more. If they find a distraction in success, they always need more. If they find a distraction in sex, they always need more. It never ends there. Because every other thing outside of the kingdom of God is a substitute for what you were made for. And so the message of Jesus is, I'm taking you home. What's missing in this world, I'm going to show you what's missing, and you're going to find it in me. Starting to connect a little bit for us? I've had to ditch my notes. Lord have mercy. Please forgive me. <laughs> Come on, stay with me. Come on, this is not that bad. I'm, okay. Uh, if eternity is real, if death is a real thing to face, then shouldn't we care even a little bit about what in the world Jesus was talking about the escape from it is? He never said the escape was a prayer. I'm just telling you right now. He never said the escape from death was a prayer. He never said the escape from death was baptism. He said the escape from death is what? Me. He never said that the fulfillment of your heart will be found on this world. He never said that the fulfillment of your life will be found in your wife or in your kids. Those are great things. 
He never said that. The only thing He ever referred to as living water, what will sustain you, what will never run out, the thing that will never get old, is what? Him. And there's a reason that He does that. Because He knows how we're built. If there was some other thing that, that, that He would allow to take His place, we would quickly run to it. And so He creates this relationship to where He says, everything you ever want is here in Me. In relationship. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a momentary thing. It's a continual moment by moment by moment. You find your life. You find your peace. You find your purpose. You find your passion in Me. Not in a thing or in a place. It's in Me. And that is difficult for us because it forces us every single moment to shake off this world and to pursue Him. Now, there's another teaching that goes hand in hand when you talk about, about the kingdom of God. And it's the teaching on treasures. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, we're going to start... Hmm. Verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he goes all the way to verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We talked a little bit about last uh, week about how when we store up treasures for ourselves in this life, we are constantly fearful and worrying and under pressure to protect the things we care about. Okay? If you're taking notes, treasure is whatever you don't want to let go of. Does that make sense? Okay? Treasure is whatever you do not want to let go of. If your treasure is in this world, you will spend your life trying to protect it. And I guarantee that your treasure in this world will be whatever it is you found to bring you momentary happiness. And so what that leads you to, if your treasure is in this world, if it's money, if it's success, if it's security, safety, uh, fame, whatever it is, you will live in a way to protect it. And when you begin to have to act as God to protect your treasure, it forces you to do things that God does not desire you to do. It forces you to live in a way that is contrary to His desire. If you're trying to... Per- nah, I don't even push it too far. If we, when we entrust ourselves with protecting our treasures, things get messy. Things get wrong. And so what happens is, is that this understanding of treasure goes hand in hand with kingdom because he's constantly talking about the kingdom and then he's talking about putting ourselves, our heart, our identity, our treasure in heaven. And to us, we have this idea of heaven being like a place. It's, it's, it's out there, it's something over there, whatever. But, you know, to the Jews who were hearing this, the word heaven had a very different understanding. It's almost like firmament, meaning to a Jew who's hearing this, heaven is a reality that isn't a physical place that far away. Heaven is a reality that is just on the other side of this realm. It's almost like a dimension. Okay, we're about to get sci-fi for you. You guys ever seen you know, sci-fi movies before? Okay, an alternate you know, dimension. It's not that it's far away. It's not that it takes me 10 hours to get there. It's that it's right on the other side of here. Does that make sense? It's near to me. It surrounds me. It's close to me. 
And so when they're talking about heaven, about the God of heaven, meaning it's the God that's around me, is going to invade me. It's the God who's just outside of my reach is going to come in to my reach. And so when he's talking about putting your treasures in heaven, it's not talking about storing them so far away from you. It's talking about taking who you are and focusing, pulling the unseen, pulling this God who's just beyond your sight, your touch, your smell, and investing in that person, taking everything you care about, putting it there for safety. And what happens is when your treasure is in heaven, whose job is it to protect it? It's God's, right? You will worship, you will follow, you will obey whoever can provide and protect your treasure. Put that in your notes. You will worship and obey and follow whoever or whatever can provide or protect your treasure. If your treasure is things, then whoever or whatever gives you your things, if it's your rich daddy, okay, you will follow, worship, and serve that guy. If it is your business, if it is your success, if it is your fame, you know, if it's your spouse, whatever it is that can provide that treasure and protect it, that's what you worship. That's where your allegiance lies. That's a whole other sermon right there. I can't even go into that. And so when he talks about kingdom, he's got the understanding of what? A king. When we talk about a kingdom, we're talking about a place where someone rules. And so where Jesus reigns is his kingdom, where he's king. And so to be in his kingdom means to submit to him, to give him your allegiance. And what takes place is this. When our treasure is not in his kingdom, he is not our king. Did you hear me on that one? When your treasure is not in heaven, the God of heaven, the King of heaven, is not your king. This, in a nutshell, was the message of Jesus. He went to a people whose treasure was their nation. He went to a people whose treasure was their independence, their freedom. That was who they knew themselves to. And it wasn't a mistake for them. In their past, all they ever knew God by was the God who showed up, protected their people, okay? And so that's what they treasured. Because that was the smallest glimpse of God, the most real thing that they could hold on to. So what they treasured was something of this world. And that's why they didn't want anything to do with the message of Jesus. When Jesus began to talk about a kingdom that wasn't just for Jews, they automatically stepped up and said, I'm I'm not really interested in that one. The moment they found out that Jesus didn't have an army, the moment they found out Jesus wasn't coming to protect what they valued most. God, that was so good. Come on. Oh my goodness, if you don't know, that was so good. Woo. If I had to amen myself, I will. I'm finally getting there. You got to give me a little encouragement. It's been a rough morning for me. When they found out Jesus wasn't there to protect their treasures on earth, They didn't want to give their allegiance to Him. And we still don't today. Jesus isn't your Lord because your treasure is in this world. You want Him to protect these treasures, and He wants you to have the real treasure that's in a different world, but you won't let go of this one. Because you won't let go of this world and these treasures, you cannot give your full allegiance to that King. 
Because you can't give your full allegiance to that king, you can't have the riches of his kingdom. They're outside of your reach because you won't let go of this world. The unseen, the kingdom of God is unseen to you because you won't let go of the seen. That is good stuff. I'm going to write a book on that right now. Let's just go. Let's... Come on. I mean, do you see it? I hate to use the Jews as a negative example because, you know, they've been used by God by, you know, so many ways. But their reaction to the message of Jesus is the best picture of our reaction. It sounds really good until we find out that it takes us having to let go of the things that we love most right now. It sounds really good that he's got all these great things for us that are coming, but you're saying I have to let go of this first to have that? I don't know about that one. This is why the kingdom of God is so difficult for us. This is why I struggled for 20 minutes this morning, because it's so hard for us to, to, you know, to touch something that's unseen. But here's what happens, though. When you let go of this world, you begin to touch and experience that world. There is a place you can come to where this world is less real than that world. I got proof for you. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to uh, Philippians. The book of Philippians, we're going to go to... Let me find it. Getting too excited. Missing my notes here. Philippians 3. Philippians 3, 7. Apostle Paul again. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Okay, just stop right there. Everything that he used to value, his old treasures, he now considers what? Nothing. Okay? He's let go of those things. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. Understand this. He was not one of the men who got to walk and talk and touch Jesus. This is Paul, not Peter talking. He never got to sit down with Jesus and get to know Him. He's talking about knowing Him. This relates more to us than anything the, the Apostle Peter could say. Because you could always say, well, yeah, well, you got to meet him. Paul didn't. And he's saying, I've got to know this person so well that everything else of this world is nothing to me. And the word he uses there in the Greek is a very bad word, and I will not use it. And you guys say, oh, what is it? I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I encourage you to. He says, everything is nothing here because I know him. The surpassing wealth of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Again, stop there. It sounds really great to have the kingdom of God and have Jesus, doesn't it? But what comes first? Losing all things. Silence. No amens. Shocker. Paul was not a rich person by this world's standards. He was not a prosperity. I mean, he didn't have a Bentley. Didn't happen yet. Now some, you know, whatever, talk about that later. There is favor and blessing in Jesus. Understand that. But what comes first is letting go of this world. That's what comes first. You cannot pursue the kingdom of God while holding on to this world. And so if you want to know how come there's some people that are so spiritual and, oh man, you know, what's it take to get there? It's not that they're smarter or more gifted or more intelligent. It's not any of those things. It's that these people 
have found a way to be willing to let go of this world so that they can take hold of the kingdom of God. This is the message. And that's why Jesus answered differently to everyone who asked about what's it take to get to the kingdom. He didn't always talk about money. But yet, when the, when the rich young ruler comes to him, and he, you, know, you know, it's a good man. It's a man who loves God, who's pursued God. He comes to him and said, oh, okay, Jesus, what do I do to inherit your kingdom? What's his answer? Go sell everything you have. It wasn't about the money. It's about what his treasure was. Are you seeing it? You don't have to be poor to receive Jesus. But you can't love money more. You can't love this world more to receive him. Does that make sense? It wasn't about physical money. It was about his treasure in his heart. What did he treasure? What, what was he not willing to let go of for God? And that's your question this morning. If the kingdom of God is still this invisible, distant kind of a, you know, it's a dream world. I, I don't know. If it's not something real to you, here's the question to you. What are you not willing to let go of for him? It doesn't matter how many hours you spend in prayer or in the Word. You can do that all you want. But if there's still things in your heart that you are not willing to let go of, you will reach a point in your spiritual growth and you will never move past it. What are you willing to give up for Him? Now, the good news of all of this is that treasure awaits. The good news of all of this is it doesn't matter what you have in your hands right now. What you're going to get is better. You just don't believe it. This is supposed to be good news, people. <laughs> oh, this ain't good. Ooh, we got to lose everything. He brought this as good news. Hey, here's the good news. This world is broken. It's, 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 it's not good enough for you. You are made for more. And I have something so much better for you. Here's the hitch. You got to let go of this one first. And it will mean something different to every person in this room. Whatever it is that you hold closest to in this world, that is the thing you need to be willing to let go of to know God more. It doesn't matter how many communion sacraments we do here. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you read, how much prayer we have. It doesn't matter you know, if the presence of God even shows up and touches you in a real way. Are you willing to let go of these treasures of this world to have the treasures that He has for you? And it's, and again, it, it just takes us back to that very simple thing. This is difficult for us for one reason, because this is so real. This is so real to us. And it's so hard to let go of this without absolute assurance that what's coming is better. Go ahead and stand and end on that.